0: You're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study series in the Book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Well, welcome back to a, another series in Ephesians. I, 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 we've been, I've been so excited about coming back in and studying. Uh, Ephesians. We obviously just do do the dynamics of uh, all that's been going on around here. Uh, We just have had to take off the last couple of months. Uh, So it's been a little while since we've been studying Ephesians, but I'm so excited to uh, dive back into chapter 3 of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And uh, while you do that, I I really want to walk through kind of a review. I want to talk through uh, this idea of uh, where we're at in this entire book. Uh, Again, Paul is writing this book from a Roman prison cell, most likely. At least that's what scholars seem to presume. Uh, So here he is in prison. He's writing this letter to the church in in Ephesus. And uh, we've walked through up to this point, chapters 1 and chapters 2. But when you just look at a simple outline Uh, In chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, Paul gives an introduction to the book itself and uh, gives the common greeting for the day. In verses 3 down through verse 14, Paul talks about the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. And again, the phenomenal reality that is every single blessing that God has for you is found in one single place. It's Jesus. So I don't have to go look for anything outside of Jesus. Jesus is all that I need for life and godliness, as Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1.3. So Paul begins to outline the blessings that we have in, in, in Jesus and just the phenomenal reality of the life of Christ that we have access to. Uh, and starting in verse 15, going down through verse 19, uh, Paul is going through this prayer and he's beseeching the Lord on behalf of those who are believers. And in verse 19, it's interesting. It's like he's finishing the prayer, but while he's talking or finishing the prayer, he immediately kind of side and begins to uh, dive deeper into an exhortation. I don't know what you want to call that, <laughs> but it's like part prayer, uh, part preaching. But again, he's, he's praying this prayer, and then as he's talking about the fact that here is the power of God that is just overwhelming and just indescribable and the working of his mighty power, Paul goes, oh, let me give you some illustrations about that. And so the first illustration he gives Begins in chapter 1, verse 20, down through the end of that chapter, verse 23. And the illustration he gives of the power of God is the life of Jesus. And he says, hey, if you want to see the power of God demonstrated, all you need to do is look at what happened in the life of Jesus. And again, the, the reality is that the father reached his hand into the, to the physical deadness Of Jesus and rose Jesus from physical death and brought him into physical life. And if that wasn't enough, he then brought him into these heavenly realms and seated him at the right hand of the Father and gave him a position above all power, might, and dominion and principality and placed all things beneath his feet and gave him to be a a name that is above every other name. Again, it's an incredible picture of the power of God. Uh, As as we moved into chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Uh, Paul looked at this idea and gave a second illustration of the power of God, uh, which is your life. And he says, Do you not realize what God has done in your life? That God has reached his hand into your spiritual deadness and yanked you from spiritual death and brought you into spiritual life. And if that wasn't enough, he then brought you into the heavenly realms and seated you in Christ Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And so now you have a position in the heavenly realms seated in Christ. And it's an incredible demonstration of the power of God. And he closes that section by talking about the fact, verse 10, that you are now God's poem, you are his workmanship uh, created uh, for good works. Uh, then in verse 11, down through the end of the chapter, verse 22. Uh, So the second half of chapter 2, Paul gives a third illustration or a third picture of the power of God, which is the church itself. And again, we we spent a lot of time walking through this, but Paul says, here are these two groups of people. You have the Jews and you have the Gentiles who utterly hated one another. In fact, the Jews, and I figure I might as well give the quote again, (laughs) but the Jews so despised the Gentiles that in the mind of the Jew, the only reason why God created the Gentiles is because there had to be something to fuel the fires of hell. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that, that cracks me up. Uh, that there is such hostility between these two groups of people. And yet what did God's power do? Oh, these two groups who never in the natural realm could ever come together, God brought in Jesus, brought Peace and now these two groups are one, and the dividing well, that it has always divided these two groups have been removed, and now there's only one group. And again, we were looking at this idea that uh, as you as you get further into the chapter, uh, verse 19. Hey, you are no longer separated. Hey, you're no longer a stranger and a foreigner. No longer are you just an outcast. Now you've been brought in and you're a part of the family of God. You're a part of the very building of God that he is building and that we as the body of Christ, the church, are to be the dwelling place for the very spirit of God. <laughs> what an incredible incredible reality. Uh, So that is a review of all the stuff that we've walked through so far in our study in Ephesians. And again, it's all available online if you've missed any of that and you want to walk through uh, any of those passages. Uh, Today we're we're starting back into chapter 3, which I'm I'm just really excited and uh, really just anticipating uh, and just continually working through this book. Uh, What an incredible book declaration of God's working in our life uh, that it is. In chapter 3, Paul uh, gives a final illustration. So he again, we're talking about the power of God being demonstrated uh, in chapter 1, verse 19. And he gives several illustrat- uh, illustrations. Again, he gives the illustration of Jesus. Uh, he gives the illustration of you, the, the believer. He gives the illustration of the church at the end of chapter 2. And so here is Paul, and he gives another illustration of this overwhelming working of God's power. And Paul says, hey, Do you know what that illustration is? Paul says, it's me. And so there's this fourth illustration of the power of God being demonstrated. And and how is that power being demonstrated? Oh, it's being demonstrated in Paul's life. So if you have your Bibles, what I'd like to do is just read uh, this little section. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, and I'll read down through verse 13. Uh, It's interesting that Paul begins, and uh, he's going to say, for this reason— and it's interesting, it's almost like he begins this parenthetical statement, because if you notice that in verse 14, he comes back and says, for this reason. And I, I think you can argue, argue this either way, whether he's actually building an argument or whether he starts with this, hey, for this reason, and then he goes, oh, can I just tell you one more thing? And kind of gives this little tangent and then comes back and concludes in chapter 3 his actual argument. But, but listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Paul says, For this reason, I, Paul, am the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you, Gentiles. You may have heard of the administration of the grace of God which was given me for you, how by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have written brief, briefly already, by which, when you read it, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Look at verse 6. How the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. Of this I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of God's power. To me, the very least of all the saints... This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the incomprehensible riches of Christ and to reveal for all people what is the fellowship of this mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ so that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he completed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confidence and a confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Uh, If you look back, (coughs) excuse me, if you look back at verse seven, Paul says this overwhelming mystery that I am proclaiming, he says, was given to me as a gift Of the grace of God by the effective working of his power. And uh, thereby, it is another another illustration of his working power. Isn't it interesting that Paul, when you look at the life of Paul, uh, Paul was this Pharisee. He was trained by by the great religious leaders, he had all the right background. He was a Jew of Jews, as he says in Philippians chapter 3. And yet, Paul was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul says, do you know what that is? That is God working in my life. I mean, if you think about Paul's life, early on in Paul's life, here he is as a young man, and uh, he was such a persecutor of the church, which at that time was merely a group of Jews. So here's a group of Jews who were were leaving the orthodoxy of, of the Jewish thrust of what the Pharisees said was religion, and they were becoming this little group, this little sect, known as Christians, who had declared that the Messiah had already returned. And Paul was so adamant against that thing, he went out to kill those people. Why? Because they were declaring that Messiah had come. And yet, Jesus knocked Paul off the horse. You know the story, right on the, on the road to Damascus. Radically changed his life. Not only, just, not only did God do such a work in Paul's life where Paul goes, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, but Paul began to proclaim that not only to the Jews, but then to those, those people over there, the, those people over, over, over yonder, the people who were not selected by God, not the promised people, the Gentiles. And Paul's making this declaration that, wow, do you, do you not realize that this is a working of God's power in my life that I am proclaiming these, this incalculable riches of Christ, not merely just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Wow, what an incredible reality. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be walking through uh, this little section. So let me just kind of give you an outline, or at least my outline that I've been wrestling through when it comes to this uh, first few verses of chapter 3. So when you look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 through 13, uh, in verse 1, we have this idea of Paul the prisoner, in other words, uh, which we're going to unpack this morning. Uh, But then verse 2 down through verse 7, I am calling partaking in the mystery, uh, which we'll get into next time. But he's talking about this mystery, this this overwhelming mystery. Now, we've talked about that uh, when it was in chapter 2 and chapter 1, but we're going to unpack that a little bit more. But this idea, we get to partake in the mystery itself. uh, I'm really excited about that. Uh, In verse 8 down through 11, uh, I'm calling it's the preaching section. It's the preaching the incalculable riches of Christ. It's preaching God's eternal purpose. Uh, this is the stuff that Paul is saying that he is declaring and, and making known. Uh, verse 12, I'm calling the position of all believers, the fact that we have boldness and confident access through faith in Jesus. And then verse 13, I'm calling the prophet of tribulation. Uh, prophet not meaning uh, the, the the spokesperson, uh, but prophet in terms of P-R-O-F-I-T, the 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 benefit, the, uh, the supply, the, the, the advantage of tribulation. Uh, so, we're going to be diving into this over the next several weeks. Uh, look at verse 1 again, which is our passage for today. Paul says, For this reason, I, Paul, am a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. For this reason. Well, what reason is he talking about? Well, in, in fact, he's, he's referring back to what he just talked about in chapter 2. In chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, he's talking about this idea that, again, that here are these two groups. You have the Jews and you have the Gentiles. And what God has done in Christ Jesus is that he's brought these two groups together and made them one. And, again, that's an incredible reality. In fact, he brought peace and he removed every division, every ounce of hatred that was formerly there. Paul says, do you realize that for that reason, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles? Uh, if you go into the backstory of Paul, it's, it's interesting in Acts chapter 21, uh, Paul is in Jerusalem and he's preaching down at the temple. And uh, there's a mistaken identity issue, but he gets arrested. And, and in chapter 22, Paul tells his story. And of course, he's, uh, he's speaking and he's, he's bound with chains <laughs> that were told at the end of chapter 21. Uh, in chapter 23 through chapter 26, uh, there's this whole plot against Paul. Uh, there's this whole defense scene, right, be- before the governors uh, between Felix and King Agrippa and that that whole thing. Uh, and in the midst of this, Paul appeals to Caesar. And he says, hey, I, I, I'm a Roman citizen. I have every right to appeal to Caesar, so send my case to Caesar. And so the governor put him on a ship and sent him. And of course, there's uh, in, in chapters 27 and 28, you have the this, this story of uh, Paul selling for Rome and all the tragedy and all that kind of stuff, and and when <clears throat> the book of Acts ends, Paul is in house arrest, and uh, from what we know, he's at least in house arrest for two years, and uh, which means that he was he was tied or he was, he was chained to a Roman soldier, so yeah, people, he, he, could, he could receive visitors, but but he is, he is in, uh, not prison prison in the sense of a jail cell, uh, but he's in house arrest, and and he's, he's awaiting uh, his, uh, his court case. Paul says, do you realize that the reason I am here in the court case, hey, the, the reason I, I am here uh, in prison, the reason I am a prisoner of Rome, ultimately is because of you Gentiles. And, and that wasn't a, an accusatory thing. But he says, do you realize the reason I was even arrested is because I was preaching that the Gentiles could be fellow heirs with the Jews. See, had Paul only preached to the Jews, yeah, he may have gotten in trouble at times, but see, this, this was intense. Hey, the reason there was the riots, the reason that the Jews were all upset, well, was not merely because he was preaching Jesus, though that was a big piece of it. A big reason they were frustrated and angry is because Paul is saying that, that the Jews are no longer superior to the Gentiles and that everything that God has been wanting to do in the Jews, God now wants to do in the Gentiles. That, 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 that God wants that both of these groups to be the temple of the Lord, for us to be the indwelling place of God. And of course, this this caused the chaos and the riots and all all, all this craziness. And Paul says, hey, do you realize that because I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I am now in chains? In other words, I, I am suffering and in prison because of you. I mean, yes, ultimately it's because of the gospel, and yes, because of Jesus, uh, but it's because I, I am so desirous that you would receive Jesus that I, I am willing, I'm willing to suffer. Hey, I'm willing to be imprisoned. Hey, I'm willing to be beaten. Hey, I, I am willing to go through all of that. Why? Because I'm just, I'm so desperate for you to know the salvation of the Lord our God. And it's interesting at the, at the end of this section in verse 13, Paul says, I ask you, don't lose heart over all these tribulations that I'm facing. He says, in fact, they are your glory. Hey, get excited that I'm, uh, that I'm facing tribulation. Hey, get excited that I'm in prison. Hey, get excited that I'm suffering on your behalf. Why? Because is, this is a good thing for you. Because if it wasn't for this, you would never have heard the gospel. What an incredible reality. I love what uh, Martin Lloyd, Lloyd-Jones, the old preacher, said. He, he said it this way. He says, why was Paul in prison? The answer is because he was so absolutely certain of the message that Christ had died for the Gentile as well as for the Jew. Though he knew it would mean prison and probably death, he nevertheless preached it because it was true. What a tremendous strengthening of the faith of the Ephesians that would result from this. Do you realize that Paul was willing to to face the difficulty? He was willing to face the persecution. He He was willing to face the tribulation. He was willing to face prisonment. Why? Because he had an overwhelming love and desire for the world to receive Jesus Christ. Can I, can I ask us really quick, do we have that same desire? Do, do you and I have that same passion for the lost souls? I, I looked it up today just because I was curious, but 151,000 people die every single day, which means 105 people die every single minute. And you recognize that a majority of those people are dying and going to hell. See, do we, do we grieve over that? Do we, do we weep over that? Do we, like Paul, say, man, I just, I, I just cannot stand the fact that you don't know Jesus? Yeah, you've got to know Jesus. And that there's a burn within us for the world to know the reality of Jesus Christ. Well, well what, if they, what if they imprison you? Well, I'm expecting that. Well, what if they beat you? I should expect that. Hey, well, what if you suffer persecution? See, we should expect that. <laughs> We're Christians. Do you realize that that the whole New Testament, over and over and over again, Jesus says, hey, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Hey, if I suffered, you're going to have to suffer. Hey, I don't think you're going to slip out of this one. Hey, this is a take up your cross daily and follow me kind of a thing. Uh, let me just give you a few verses. I mean, this, this is just replete. This is all over the New Testament. Uh, let me just give you a couple of them. Philippians 1.29. Paul says, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. See, it has been granted to you for you to suffer for Jesus. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Uh, Philippians 2.17, yes, and if I am being poured out as, as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. In Philippians 4.4, 4, Paul's talking about the persecution and the difficulties. And he says, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Yes, even in persecution. Colossians 1.24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. 1 Peter 4.13, but rejoice to the extent That you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. James 1, 2-3, count it all joy when you face various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith will produce patience. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 12, yes, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So get this idea. If you're not suffering at some level, hey, if you're not being persecuted, hey, if there's not trials and and tribulation in your life because of the sake of the gospel, could it be that it's because we're not actually living as Christians? And I don't want to say if you're not suffering, you're not a Christian. I'm not saying that. But I want you to ponder, and I really want you to take it before the Lord. Hey, if I'm not suffering, hey, if I'm not, if I'm not facing persecution, hey, if I'm not getting pushed back by the culture, then maybe it's because I'm not saying anything. Maybe it's because my life looks just like the culture. And Paul says, hey, you should rejoice in the fact that, that hey, there's tribulation. Hey, I am rejoicing in the fact, in fact, my tribulation is your glory. And would I be willing for the sake of the lost souls around me? Could, could God give me such a burden for the people around me that I just hey i 've I've got to tell the world about jesus I just, I just can't I just can't let another person go. Paul had that burn, so isn't it interesting that that we know that when Paul's writing the book of Ephesians, hey, we know that he's a prisoner in Rome, but it's almost like his imprisonment to Rome is incidental because as he defines it, look at verse 1 again. He says, I am not a prisoner of Rome. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. In other words, the reason he's a prisoner is not because he did anything wrong. In a a, a true sense, He he is a prisoner because he's being persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ. But isn't it a phenomenal thought? Again, I just love this idea that Paul does not say, well, I'm a prisoner of Rome on your behalf. Hey, I, I'm in a jail cell. I'm tied to a prison guard. Hey, I'm just, he doesn't say that. He says, do you realize that I'm a prisoner, but I'm a prisoner of Jesus? How, when you look at the contrast between those two ideas, a prisoner of Rome and a prisoner of Christ, you realize it's all about focus. It's all about uh, perception, perception. Paul is a prisoner of Rome. I mean, in, in, in actuality, he is. He's a prisoner of Rome. He's chained to a Roman guard. He's, you know, he, he's going to uh, go and uh, be tried at a Roman court. So, Paul, how on earth can you say that you are a prisoner of Jesus Christ? See, isn't it interesting when you look at these two ideas, if, if I'm a prisoner of Rome... That's going to produce fear and worry. Well, what's Rome going to do with me? If I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ, do you realize that you can rest in that? Jesus, again in Matthew, says, Hey, come to me, all you who are labor and heavy burden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Take, to, sorry, take my yoke upon you. See, isn't it interesting that when, when I'm a prisoner of Jesus, I can actually rest because, hey, my, hey, the, the, the determining reality of my life as a prisoner is Jesus. See, if I'm if I'm only see my prison my, my prison sentence as a prison, I'm a prisoner of Rome. Hey, that's going to produce fear. That's going to produce anxiety. That's going to produce worry. Hey, what 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 are they going to do to me? how's this going to work out? And what's going to happen? And see, if I'm a prisoner of Rome, there's a lot of uncertainty in that. But if I'm a prisoner of Christ, I can have confidence. Hey, hey, if you want to shut me up and you want to throw me in a jail cell, hey, that's fine. Hey, you want to silence me and, 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 and kill me off, get rid of me? Hey, that's fine. So I can have confidence. Why? Because my prison, my, my, the, the reality of me being, me being a prisoner is not determined by Rome and what they're going to do with me. It's all determined by Christ and what he's going to do with me. See, it's all perspective. Paul is a prisoner. Hey, we get that. But Paul says, hey, Rome, what, is, what is Rome going to do to me? God is going to use that reality for his kingdom. Uh, again, if, I, if I'm a prisoner of Rome, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded by my enemies. But hey, if I'm a prisoner of Christ, then the one to whom I'm a prisoner of, uh, he, he's going to really get protection and guardedness in my life. See, if, if I'm a prisoner of Rome, there's, there's heaviness. Uh, there, there's intensity in that. But hey, if I'm a prisoner of Christ, there's an ease. There's a... There's a relaxation in that. Again, I find it interesting that Paul even uses the language of prisoner. Uh, we know that in several other passages, Paul talks about the fact, he says, I am a slave of Christ. Uh, yeah, I'm a galley slave. Uh, that bond servant or that slavery idea, the, the, the Greek word is doulos, uh, it has this idea that I have, I have no authority. I, I don't get to choose what I get to do. I don't get to choose when I wake up. I'm literally a servant of a master. And my master's a good master, so I'm going to trust him. But, but hey, he's going to determine what I do. And, and he's going he's to give direction. And he's going to, hey, I just, I just do what I'm told. I, I'm a vessel for my, for my master to use. Paul uses that language all over the place. But isn't it interesting here, Paul says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And again, that idea of prisoner is, uh, that idea in Greek is one that is bound, one that is captive, one that is a prisoner, one that is put in chains, Paul says, I, I'm that not, again, I'm, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. He is a prisoner of Rome. But hey, that's not Paul's focus. Paul says, you know what my focus is? I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now you could look at that and say, okay, well, so what? <laughs> so what? Why does it even matter that Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Uh, as I was looking at this passage, I, I was, I personally was gripped by this thought of what would happen if I had that same perspective in every trial, every every testing, every tribulation, every hardship, every difficulty. What what if I could have that perspective in my life? What if here I am being hauled off to Rome in, in, in chains, what if I would see that not through the lens of, of the physical? Again, again, we looked at this idea in Ephesians 1.3. But what, what, if I didn't ha- what if I didn't see it from the lens of the physical merely? What if I saw it from God's perspective? What if I could see from the heavenly realm's perspective my situation? See, see could it be that, that here I am, and yes, I'm a prisoner of Rome. I'm in chains. I'm tied with this guard but what if I could see this not as, not as Rome's doing, but as God allowing this to take place for the sake of the kingdom? See, it's not that God has caused me to be here, necessarily. But God's going to use this for his purposes. And of course, we can give countless illustrations of this, but, but what if the flat tire that you got this morning What if you could see that not from the lens of the physical? What if you could see that through the lens of the spiritual? And it's not that God caused a flat tire. Hey, we understand that. God's not puppeteering your life. Uh, You you, you can make decisions. The people around you are making decisions that affect you. The enemy is trying to thwart you. It's not that, that God causes rape. It's not that God causes destruction. It's not that God causes... So, hey, when that stuff comes into my life... And, and hey, I, here I am, a prisoner of Rome, could I somehow allow Jesus to turn my gaze heavenward and somehow see the reality from his perspective? See, what if that flat tire wasn't just merely a flat tire? What if God wanted to use the flat tires of my life to produce something for the kingdom of God? What, what if the people I'm going to encounter, and what, what if the trial I'm going to be facing not only refines my life, Sanctifies my soul, deepens me, and causes patience, and the reality of the gospel to come forth. But what if God wants to use that? Do you realize that Paul is, or sorry, God is using Paul, chained to that Roman soldier for the glory of Jesus? See, God is using Paul as a, as a prisoner of Rome to radically change Rome and the known world. In fact, many of his epistles were written from that place, and God has used that for, for two thousand years. God has been using Paul as a prisoner of Rome. See what what if God wants to do that in my life? See see what if God wants God God wants me not just to see my imprisonment from the lens of oh no the Roman government. He wants to see me as oh I have you exactly where I want you hey I've got hey. I, hey, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to use you. And whether by life or by death, hey, I am going to fulfill this thing. In fact, look at, if you have your Bible, slip over a page to Philippians chapter 1. In Philippians chapter 1, I love this. Paul says, again, this is another one of those epistles right in the Roman cell, uh, Roman house, house arrest. Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 20, Accordingly, it is my earnest expectation and my hope that I shall be ashamed in nothing, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. See what if we could have that perspective in every moment of the day. That, that, hey, whatever your life circumstances are, wherever it is that you're living right now, hey, whatever it is that your job that you're, that you're grinding uh, day by day by day through, hey, whatever it is that your family situation, hey, whatever it is with your fa- uh, finances, it's not that God doesn't want to change and redeem and restore and, and, and transform those areas. Because he He does. But rather than saying, hey, God, how, how much longer do I have to live with this crazy job that I have? Oh, God, how much longer until I get out of this situation? Oh, God, how, how much? What, what if we had a different perspective in all that? What if we said, hey, God, here I am in, in this lousy job. How do you want to use this for your kingdom? Hey, God, I'm, I'm bound in chains in this, in this circumstance. How do you want to use this? Hey Hey, God. See, could it be that God wants to use every situation and every circumstance of our life to showcase Jesus Christ? See, what if I could see everything through that perspective? See, Paul is a prisoner to Rome, and yet he does not see himself as a prisoner of Rome. It's like it's, like it's incidental to him. Yeah, yeah, I'm chained to the Roman guard. But I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Well, Paul, Paul you're in a Roman house arrest thing. Hey, Paul, you've got a Roman trial coming. He's like, Psst. <laughs> I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. See, could you have that in your moments? Hey, could you have that in every circumstance? Hey, could could you could you see that God is going to leverage you right where you're at for the sake of the gospel? Hey, could could you just see He's going to leverage uh, every, everything that, that you come across? Again, it's not that God has caused it, but He's going to use it. And of course, you know these verses, but you know, Romans 8:28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Or you have the Genesis 50 verse 20 where Joseph's brothers come up to Joseph and says, hey, Joseph, dad just died. And, and uh, <laughs> he wanted you to forgive us. <laughs> Don't hurt us. Because I know, you know you're probably waiting until dad died and then you're going to throw us off into prison. Hey could, could you just, hey, could you forgive us for all that craziness we did when you were a kid? And Joseph looks at his brothers and says, what what are you talking about? And he says in verse 20, but as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about it as it is this day to save many people. He says, do you not recognize that what you meant for evil and what you meant for destruction and what you meant for harm, God has taken that and he's leveraged it for his purpose. Could you see that that's what God wants to do in your life too." Could, could you see your imprisonment? Could you see your difficulties? Could you see your trials, not through merely the earthly realm thing, could you see that from God, God's perspective and say, God, what do you want to do in this situation? God, God, what do you want to do here? It's interesting as I've been looking at the culture and just kind of the trajectory that we as a culture are sliding into and, and I'm just like, God, it, it seems like it's not going to take much longer before we, in, in, even in America, are going to be persecuted for the faith. And, and if we're actually going to live a strong, bold gospel, uh, we're going to have to be willing to suffer and go to jail and be beaten. And, and am I so willing, for the sake of those around me, to, to be a prisoner of the American government? But as I've been looking at this passage afresh, I've come to the conclusion, God, w- whether by life or my death, I want to magnify you with my body. God, hey, whether I live or whether I die, I want you to be seen. Hey, God, whether I have freedom or whether it's taken away, could you, could you use me? Oh Lord, even if I am a prisoner of this government, just like Paul was a prisoner of his government, would you, would you do something so radical in my mind that doesn't allow me to see that situation through, oh, oh I'm just a prisoner but I'm a prisoner of you. That my life is yours. That, that you can use me however you want to, and that I may be sitting in a jail cell and I may be beaten and scourged and bloodied and bruised, but wow, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. I'm just at his. I'm, I'm, I'm at his beck and call. I'm just. I'm here for him. I'm just. Hey, however he wants to spill and spend my life for the King and the Kingdom. I'm. I'm, I'm here. Could, would you? Would you have that? Would you let God do something so deep within you that just turns your mind to Him? and You see that no matter the circumstance, no matter what you're going through, no matter where He has you, whether it's good or bad or ugly, He can use all of it. I think our culture today desperately needs men and women who are willing to be prisoners of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Oh Lord, I know that a lot of people who are listening are going through trials and difficulty, and they're questioning why they're in the job that they have and why they're facing the circumstances that they have and why they're dealing with the financial crisis that they have. And Lord, could you turn their gaze heavenward? Would you let them see their circumstance from a heavenly perspective? And Lord, regardless of the trials, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what may be going on, regardless of even if we're imprisoned in a jail cell, Lord, can we be so given, surrendered, yielded to you that what we see, our perspective, our mindset is that we are a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That all the other stuff is almost incidental in the light of the reality that we are a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Lord, can we pray like Paul that whether by our life or whether it be our by our death, we just want you to be magnified. Lord, could we have such a trust and such a focus and such a gaze upon you that the things of this world truly do grow strangely dim in light of who you are. Lord, could we, could we freshly today surrender, lay our lives before you and say, Lord, have our lives, take my life, let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee, Lord, take these eyes, take these hands, take this mouth, take these feet, take this life. And Lord, I give you permission to spend body and blood for the king and for the kingdom. So Lord, however you want to use this vessel, I say yes. Lord, whatever you want to do with my life, will you use me as an instrument of righteousness that would go forth into this world and be used to not only declare the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but Lord, would would you use my life in such a way that makes an impact for the kingdom, not for my name, not for my prestige, not for my popularity, but for you, for your fame, for your majesty, for your glory. Lord, could we be a captivated captive of you? Could we be a prisoner of Jesus Christ? Oh, Lord, do that in our lives. We love you. Oh, oh, we love you. We pray all this in your holy and precious and very powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. No, I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.